pray. Father, we do want to thank you for this chance to learn about our mighty, mighty Saviour. And we pray that when we go home tonight, we will have new confidence and joy because of him. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 1 to 12. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him. <laughs> I thought the fireworks were outside. Uh, <clears throat> God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born dependents, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. But these are great things God did in the old part of the Bible, and we're going to be learning about them in the new part of the Bible, and we're going to be learning that in two separate groups 
we've got our group in church and uh, our children are going to go out to their group uh, behind me. So let's pause for a moment while we give them a chance to do that. We've uh, prayed, we've read the bit of the Bible we're going to be looking at tonight. And I'm going to look you in the eye and I'm going to ask you a straight question. Are you someone who is sure you'll get to heaven? And some people will be looking back and saying, well, to talk like that, that's overconfident, that's cocky. It's much more humble to say, well, I'm not sure whether I'm there or not, but I'll just have to wait and see when I get there. And I want to say today that actually that is what is cocky. To say that you're sure of heaven is actually the most humble thing that uh, you could uh, believe. And I'm going to say that because this is a big question. What happens to us when we die is a massive question. I mean, what could be a bigger question than where are you going to spend eternity? Can you think of anything bigger than that? Well, that's the biggest there is. And there's one of two places that uh, you can go to for the answer. Just one or two places. You can either go to the world for your answer. We might call that culture. Or... You can go to the one who made the world for your answer. And that's what you get in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse 3. Uh, you can go to uh, uh, the person um, <coughs> uh, who made the world by his word. Listen to what he says. Put your confidence there. So culture or confidence in God. That's the, the choice that we have. And the person who helped us to see that outside of the Bible was a German monk called Martin Luther. You met him earlier in, uh, in, in disguise as Rob. And, and so Martin Luther uh, was a, a guy who, who came along and he last Tuesday nailed 96 uh, articles to a church door last Tuesday, 500 years ago, but he put 96 things that he really believed to be important on a church notice door, a church, church board, which is a, like a no, notice board for the community. And out of those 96 things, there were really five major things that he wanted to get across. And what had happened was that the Roman Catholic Church, which was the church he was in at that time, had added stuff to the Bible in loads of different ways. And so Martin Luther came up with this really neat word called uh, sola. And sola just means alone. Brilliant, isn't it? Coming to a church in Dagenham and learning Latin. Uh, so what's the Latin word? What's the English meaning? What's the Latin word? What's the English meaning? You've done it already. <laughs> Next stop, Eton. Right, okay. Now, five solas, five things that he said. But the Romans had, Roman Catholic Church had added on different things, right? Lots of plus, 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 plus. And sola was, if you like, Luther's minus. To take away 
what had been added to go back to what the Bible said. And the thing that we're looking at tonight is what was called in Latin sola fide, which is by faith alone. Now, you may not be impressed by Latin or words like that, but let me tell you, this is the key that's going to give you bright, new, shining confidence for the future. We're going to see that tonight. Okay? So, as I said, when it comes to future, you've got one or two places uh, that you can listen. Hello. Lovely to see you. Um, let me uh, just suggest uh, that uh, uh, the two young guys, um, uh, we've got a little church group for kids just around the corner. Um, so, um, and, and so therefore, they'll settle in and uh, come back. Right. Where was I? Culture. Why are the two places you can get information about the future? And what does culture tell you? Culture tells you, only believe what you can see. Okay? The only thing that is real is what you can see. And you can see that in Hebrews 11. There's a big stress on what you can see. That's what culture will tell you. But when you get into Hebrews chapter 11, you get person after person after person telling you all the people in the Bible didn't do that. They trusted promises that they heard from the one who made the world. Now the trouble is that culture that says only see what you see and believe what you see, that culture can get inside the church. And that's what happened at the time this letter to the Hebrews was written. What had happened was there were these young Hebrew Christians. And their Jewish seniors were saying to them, hey guys, look, I know you say you want to become Christians, but look, I'll tell you what. You come back into our world. Because in our world, you've got a temple that you can see that is rock solid. You've got priests you can look at. And they're offering up sacrifices that you can smell. All of this right in front of you. This is how you get right with God. And what uh, the Bible teaches and in Hebrews what you learn is that Jesus is the one who is, if you like, the new temple. He is the one who is the meeting place with God. If you want to meet with God, go to him. He is the priest who will bring God and man together into a new relationship that is close. And he is the one whose sacrifice makes us acceptable to God. So you don't need to do with uh, temples or priests or sacrifices when you found Jesus. Well, <clears throat> that is something that uh, the uh, uh, Old Testament people didn't believe. And so what the writer to the Hebrews says in this letter is, look, I'll tell you what, if you can invent yourself a time machine, and if you can take some recording equipment on board with you, 
And if you could go back to all the big names in our Jewish history, you know, the Jewish people are saying this is what's important. But if you go back to our big names in Jewish history, they'll tell you what's really important. And each of them will tell you in Hebrews chapter 11 that all you need is to trust what God has promised, even though you can't see what God has promised at the time. And so therefore, they cleared it, and we had no need to see what uh, you see. You just trusted what you heard. But that was great for 300 years. You shut the Bible, and 300 years people trusted promises. And then guess what? Someone comes along to muddy up the waters again. His name happens to be Constantine. He's a Roman emperor. He's a pretty impressive army guy. But what he says when uh, he starts pushing Christianity, he says, what you need are temples and priests and sacrifices. So he started building, whacking great big buildings, and he started this new group of people that he called priests. Christian ministers had not been called that before, but now they are. And then they've got this sacrifice. What they did was they said the communion service where Jesus we remember the death of Jesus well that's like reenacting the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross it's a replay and so we got back into the world of Hebrews all over again and they did a makeover on everything in the Bible. They added and added and added. And when it came to this question we're looking at tonight is what happens to us when we die? What happens to us in the future? They did a, a, a plus on that one as well. They came up with this new place <clears throat> that was called Purgatory. Now, previously, the Bible said heaven or hell. Purgatory was this really nice in-between place. Really nice because it meant that no one went to hell. You just landed in purgatory when you died and then you paid for the different wrong things you had done and bit by bit over time you would work yourself up the ladder until finally you got to heaven. Purgatory was that place where you were purged from your sins. That's where the name came from. And so they discovered that was a, a helpful place because for a start it could earn the church some money. See, the church could fast track you through purgatory for a price. So for example, if you're a bloke and you can go and fight in the Crusades, well, that was your get out of jail free card from purgatory altogether. You just skipped purgatory. But there are other ways to leapfrog um, purgatory. And so what you would do is you would pay money to the church and you would buy what was called indulgences. That's a little certificate that said you've got time off purgatory for your family if they were in. And so therefore, uh, you could uh, earn money that way. The church income rocketed. And in fact, 
they were able to build this fantastic place. The Basilica in Rome was built out of money selling indulgences to get people off purgatory. They even had this catchy little jingle. Don't think advertising's a new thing. 500 years ago, there was this uh, lovely little uh, jingle that they came up with. Now, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Yes. Come on. It's the jangle, jingle that got everybody going, and they put their coppers in the coffers, and, and there we are. The church made massive buildings like that. But Hebrews 1 says, you don't need to play that game. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, come on, faith is the assurance of things that you're hoping for. It's not that you go into this unknown place and then you don't know what's going to happen to you and when. Faith is to have confidence, assurance. So therefore, that's why we want to leave culture behind and go and look at what the Bible says, which is have confidence in the future. This is how. Martin Luther was wanting to get people back to the confidence that uh, the Bible gives about the future. And he said, you don't need to go into a place like purgatory to get rid of your sin, because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid, not indulgences, but his blood, to get rid of sin. And that's all that you needed. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he not only took your sin off you, but he also, in a reverse gift, gives you his righteousness. In the old days, uh, when I was a lad, uh, I used to work in the city of London. And every morning I'd get out of uh, Bank Tube Station. And out of Bank Tube Station, you get to see this building. Do you know what it is? Anyone recognize it? Yeah, what is it? You recognize it? It is the... It's the, the Bank of England is right next door. That is the Royal Exchange. And what happened in the Royal Exchange is very simple. You would take your bag of carrots and you swap it and you go home with a bag of potatoes. Okay? It was done in the king's name, so the Royal Exchange. It's a marketplace. Now, the cross is the world's best Royal Exchange. Because what you do with the cross is you take all the things that you've done wrong against God... And you swap it for all the things that God has done right, that Jesus has done right. And you go home with his rightness, or the Bible word is righteousness. And it's all yours for nothing, because the swap has taken place, the exchange has taken place. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And anyone who has the righteousness of Jesus doesn't do purgatory, because they belong 
in God's future in heaven. And so what we do is we trust God's promise that that is what the cross can do for anyone and then that confidence that we have that God will keep his promise is the Bible word for faith. That's what faith is. And it's not difficult for anyone to understand, honestly. Like you said, <clears throat> the Bank of England is right next door. Now just imagine this. Say I did you a job, something you were going to pay me for. But I died before you could, before, after you sent the check. And Debbie opens the check and banks the check. What's happening? She hasn't done anything to deserve the check herself, but she's banking what I had done. She's getting the benefit of what I have done. So faith is just basically saying, I'm going to have confidence, I'm going to bank what Jesus has done and make it my own. Even though I don't deserve it, I haven't done anything for it, but someone else's reward is now mine. And I bank it. That's what faith is. That's the confidence the Bible wants us to have. Now there's two ways we can get confused about this. We should have our confidence that uh, Jesus gives us his righteousness through the exchange. What we do is we put our confidence not on what he has done, but on our ability to believe, our faith. It's like saying, <clears throat> when you come in and you sit down on your chair, uh, Verona, I'm absolutely amazed that uh, you've got this faith. That you could sit on the chair and expect the chair to hold you up. I think that's massive faith. As if the credit is hers, but as really what we should be saying, if anything, what a fantastic chair. That it works with all that weight on it. <laughs> and it's the same thing, isn't it? In, in, on the cross, we should say, not, oh, what a brilliant man I am to believe in Jesus, but what an amazing promise that Jesus would give even for someone who's loaded up with sin, like me. And so the confidence goes into what Jesus has done, rather than into how much the person actually believes. And you can see that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11. And Abraham's wife, her name is Sarah. And when... God told Sarah and Abraham that they were going to have a baby because they were in their 90s at the time. Sarah actually had a giggle about it. She laughed in her tent is what it says in Genesis chapter 18. So her faith, if you like, at that point wasn't all that strong. Did that stop the whole plan operating? No. She got the baby. She received power to conceive. And it tells you what made the difference. Because Sarah looked at this God who made the promise and she, it's so brilliantly put, considered him faithful who had promised. In other words, when she looked at this God, she realized this is not a God who is going to lie to you. 
If he made a promise to you, then he would keep it. There's going to be no ifs or buts about it. She considered him faithful who had promised. In other words, she didn't say, my faith is going to do the trick. She said, this God will deliver what he said. That's uh, something that could get, shake our confidence up when we put our confidence in ourselves and our ability to believe, rather than on Jesus and his ability to keep his promise. The other thing that knocks our faith is when we look at, if I, like, if I could put it like this, our state, the kind of people we are, and then say, nah, I don't think it can happen, not with someone like me, I don't think heaven is much of an option. A person is only righteous if they act righteously. And if their state is not that they're acting righteously, then forget it. Now, we need to understand that there is a difference between state and status. Don't get confused, I'll explain. It's all simple. It goes like this. Think Prince William. Okay, let's just make him king. Prince William, but King William decides to marry a prostitute. Okay? The minute he does that, her status instantly changes. She becomes queen. Yes? Her status changes. Her state on day one is still very much with the old habits and the old appetites and everything else still in place. But as she's got the new status in time, she will change to match her new status. She'll learn royal manners. She'll learn royal mor morals. So that her life, her state, starts matching her status a bit more. You with me? Now, in the same way, it works like that in the Christian life too. When you become a Christian, your status is righteous. You are a righteous person in front of God. That's what he looks at you. He says, that is now my righteous person. Just like King William would look and say, that is my queen. God would say, this person is righteous. This is their new status in my eyes. And then their state will change to match the status. That's a work in progress the rest of our lives. Now, if you wanted to uh, sort of put Bible words into the state and status, well, the status in the Bible is, is called justification. You get a new, you're justified, you get a new status as someone who is righteous. And the state of becoming righteous in time the Bible calls that sanctification. Justification, status, sanctification, state, and the lifelong work of changing that. And so when someone asks you, are you sure of heaven? What they're really asking is, has your status changed? Have you changed from being a sinner 
who ultimately would, if you carried on as you are, end up in hell, has your status changed from that to being a righteous person who is guaranteed heaven? Are you a Christian? Are you sure of the future? It's just a question of, has your status changed? Are you trusting in God's promises and banking the promise that you are now a righteous person? And that is uh, what happens to anybody. The promise can be banked the minute anybody turns on God and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Bible promises anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Status changed instantly. It's like what happened when I got married. If you ask me, am I married? I will not waste a second. I'll say yes. Why? Because my status changed. The day promises were exchanged and I got a new status in life. Now, if you're asking about the state of my marriage, ah, well, um, <clears throat> I'm not a good husband. That's a work in progress for the rest of my life. Or Debbie's, whichever goes first. I uh, see there's a difference between state and status. And my status has changed. My state will be changing. And therefore, we need to understand that the beauty of uh, what Jesus did on the cross is that straight away a person can say, now I am righteous because I called on Jesus to save me. And he will keep his promise. I know he will. I'll bank it. Now, what does that mean for us, uh, if you like, in uh, our little world today? But the first thing I think is, uh, if you're someone who's new to Christian things, and you're kind of still figuring it all out and working it all out, uh, and it's new to you, the big question is, where will you go in your future? And to answer that big question, you have got to choose who you will get your answer from. Either culture, which will tell you only believe what you can see, and you can't see a future like that, so don't believe it. Or will you trust, not the world, but the one who made the world, who says, I promise, and I keep promises. And the classic sign of a person who doesn't believe is the person who answers the question about heaven by saying, I'm not sure. I hope I'll get there. I'll have to wait and see. The reason I said that is a cocky thing to say because what you're really saying is I'm going to see if I'm going to be good enough and I'll find out if I'm good enough or not when I get there. In other words, all the confidence is on whether I'm good enough when I arrive. So the cockiness is that you think you're going to swing it. You think you can make heaven by yourself. Whereas what the Bible says is give up on that 
And start putting your whole confidence in what God has promised you because of what he did on the cross. Remember the thief on the cross when he died. He asked Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said he would. He gave him a promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now nothing actually changed as far as the prisoner's state was concerned. He didn't suddenly get off the cross and start doing good stuff. No, he couldn't do anything. But his state has changed. And today he will be with Jesus in paradise. The minute you ask the Lord Jesus to take you into his kingdom, today you enter paradise under his promise. That is the beauty of uh, being a Christian. It was just lovely when uh, uh, Jade became a Christian uh, four months ago. She, did on a, she prayed a prayer on a Sunday that she wanted to follow the Lord Jesus. She prayed the same prayer the following Sunday because she said that she wasn't sure whether God heard it the first week or not. She said, I didn't know that all you had to do was ask. But actually that is all you have to do because the bank, the promise that she banks is not what she has earned. She just asks for the, the check to be paid into her account. That's what it is to become a Christian if you're someone who isn't one. What happens if you've got the church stickers? You've been around churches and you've been to different ones. It's so easy, isn't it, to see that what happened in Hebrews and what happened at the time of the Roman Catholic Church and what happens today, it is so easy to go back into the world of, oh, we need the special building, we need the special priests, we need the special things that we do. And what happens is that Christianity gets sucked into a Sunday thing. And everything is revolving around the Sunday and what you do there. And that is a, a great sadness. It means we've gone back, we've added to what the Bible says. And actually what we've done is we've in the process gone back into the culture world of only seeing, believing what you see. And therefore, in many churches, the whole emphasis on the future is just a background mention every now and then, but the main deal is to get yourself a good life here and now. That's what counts most. Whereas the Bible says, no, that's not the reason why we come to church. We don't come to church to do priests and temples and sacrifices. We come to church to just do two things. One is to listen to what God has promised about our future. Because it is so easy to lose sight of that. And the other reason why we come to church is to love the other promised believers who are with us, so we can encourage them to build and their trust in the promises too. The reason we come to church is to get our heads straight on what God has promised and to get our hearts loving the people who we're traveling with. What happens if you are a real believer? But my suggestion is, Try not to get status and state muddied because it's so easy to do. It works like this.
you know, because the Bible tells you, that Jesus died to make you righteous. Okay, your head takes that in. But what happens next is that your feelings tell you that how you're doing as a Christian depends on what your state of life is like. And therefore, if you're... If you had an okay week, well, then that's good. And if you haven't, well, then that means you're suddenly not sure anymore. And what the Bible wants us to do is to take our eyes off our state and put our joy in our status. And the way we do that is we learn how to thank God Please do this every morning when you wake up if you are a Christian. If you have cried out to God to, to save you, to have you in his kingdom, then every morning thank God that whatever the day will bring and however you handle whatever the day will bring, your status is secure. You are a righteous person in God's sight. God has promised today you will be with me in paradise if anything were to happen to you. And that is a confidence that you can back. Why? Because of what Sarah said in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Just consider, not how good you are, what your state is. Just remember that he, <clears throat> just consider him faithful who has promised. God will be faithful to his promise to you. Your status has changed and your joy in this new week can rest and bank on that. Well, let's pray for a moment and then we'll have questions and answers where that might have not been all that clear and you might want some uh, <coughs> further help. Let's first pray. I suggest that we have a moment of quiet, a minute of quiet. You talk to God in the light of what you heard tonight. And then I'll pray for all of us after one minute is finished. Let's first pray. Our great God, we see tonight that having faith is just banking our confidence that you will keep your word to us. Thank you that tonight you come and tell us not to live by what we can see, but to put our trust in what you have promised. Please help us to do that. Please help us to trust the promise, to bank the promise that we are righteous if we have cried out to you to be saved. And please help us to grow in our likeness to Jesus as we bring our state to match our status. And when we have our bad days, as we will, please help us to wake up every day considering him faithful who has promised safety and righteousness 
and eternal life. Keep us confident in the Lord Jesus, we pray, as we ask in his name. Amen. Amen.